710, how we doing? Oh, woo. How many of us are just happy to be outside of the house? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, like Alicia said, I'm Shannon, one of the uh, four horsemen that get to lead this amazing ministry. Uh, it's myself, Alicia, Corey, and Connor who led us in worship. And so if you're new to 710, like Alicia was saying, we would love to get connected with you and be able to uh, just kind of... Uh, really dive into like who we are and why we exist. And, and honestly, there's just two reasons for why we exist. We believe God, salvation belongs to him and him alone. And so we, we exist to foster that relationship with him and then with the one another. So um, with that being said, tonight we're going to start um, our first sermon series of the year. And if you follow us on uh, Instagram or this social media platform. Uh, we've been posting this everywhere. Harley, could you put that up? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to fill in the blank of what love is. Um, and with these business cards, this, this is going to be another step for you to be able to follow along. And, and also, it's going to function as two kind of ways uh, with these business cards. You, you can... Uh, the, the URL code, this code deal that you, you put here and, and be able to get the, the app. Once you get have the app, then you can pass it along to someone. See how that works? Invite them to 710 because we're an awesome place to be. Uh, with, that, with that being said, we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to tackle this, this title of Love is Blank. Um, and before we get into that, here's what I want to do. I need some crowd participation, if, if you will. If you had one word to describe 2020, you only had one word. And listen, I, I can only see half of your faces, so shout it out. What, somebody said hard. What else? Dysfunctional. What? Unprecedented. Absolutely. What, what else? Crazy. Unstable. Chaotic. Absolutely. If, if I had one word, now listen, there is not one word. I mean, we need a, there's not enough paper, there's not enough ink in the world to describe 2020. But if I had to boil it down to one thing, it would be costly. Let me, let me read some stats for you. On March 12th, it was reported that Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and this conglomerate of Google called the Alphabet Company, they all lost a combined amount of $416.63 billion. That's with a B. It was recorded that 20.5 million jobs was lost in the month of April. And the unemployment rate rose to 14.7%. Both of those numbers are record highs post-World War II. According to USA Today, Major League Baseball is on track to lose $4 billion in revenue alone. And in, US, uh, in the Bus Business Weekly reported on April 20th that the restaurant and food service industries requested $240 billion in recovery fund. Now, these numbers and stats don't include the entertainment industry, places like the movie theaters, amusement parks, 
It doesn't include numbers in the school districts or universities. So when we say that 2020 has been costly, that's an understatement. It hasn't been costly just in, a, in the financial sense either. And I know some of you guys can attest to this. 2020 has been costly, like, emotionally. It's been draining. It's been draining mentally, physically. It's been draining spiritually. There's a, there's a Christian organization called The Pew, and they, they basically do this research in our churches of today, and they found that one out of three Christians, so since February this thing hit up until I think it was two weeks ago when this report came out, one in three Christians do not attend church anymore. One in three, 33% of churchgoers don't go to church anymore. And then when we're talking about, like, the primary focus of dealing with the tension of what 2020 has brought us, this stuff can't, it can't be avoided. We're going to bump up in this stuff that's going to stress us out mentally, like losing a job. When we're dealing with issues like race and politics, we're going to put a strain on our relationships and friendships. And then to the point that 2020 was costly physically, let's do this. By a show of hands, how many of you guys know someone who had COVID-19? My, uh, my, my, my dad and my stepmom, they live in Florida. And uh, they had a little dinner deal um, about a month ago. And then they only invited six people, okay? Only invited six people. And my stepmom's bro brother was one of the, the folks who had all the symptoms, but never told nobody. <laughs> How many of us got a family member like that? You, you already know who he is, like, or she he is. <laughs> and, and, and shows up, eats, leaves, and three or four days later, all, everybody that was there had COVID-19. As we observe and reflect on what has transpired in 2020, this vicious pandemic, the social unrest that we're seeing in our country. And of course, it's an election year, right? By the way, shout out to Tyler Hudgens, man. We're praying for you, brother. That's my guy. That's my guy. All this stuff points to our need for something that is more powerful, more winsome, and more precise than what we're facing in our society today. And that something comes in the person of Jesus. This Jesus who came to create new life. And in this new life, it would create a new humanity. And see, in this new humanity, we would live in this distinctive way that's counter to the culture. So tonight, as we take a look at a familiar story to a lot of us in here, it may be new to some of us. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to make the connection of how love moves us towards brokenness. And then at the end, we're going to deal with the blueprint of how this type of love, we're to reflect it in our everyday living. But let's pray. Let's ask for the Spirit's witness in this moment and for God's help. 
Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity we get together to unpack your word, to be able to be in community. We get to not only worship together, get to sing together, we get to just finally be in community together. And I pray, God, that in this moment, you would cause us to really have a, a spiritual awakening in this moment, that our hearts and minds will be open, and that ultimately, Father God, you would cause our eyes to see the things that you see, and that you would open our hearts. In this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and as you're, you're turning there, I want to kind of set the scene of what's going on in this particular story. Jesus is uh, having a conversation with some folks, and a, and a Jewish lawyer comes up to Jesus and approaches him and asks him a question that, honestly, is, is a, a really good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and so Jesus responds, you know, the question with a question. What does the law say? And so this, this Jewish lawyer who would have known the, the five books of the Torah, like the back of his hand, he recites Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19 and 18, which says this. When you combine those two verses, it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. So as he's repeat that, Jesus is like, cool. Good, good answer. Um, tell him what he's wanting, Johnny. No. He says, good answer. Now go and do it. But the, the, the lawyer is, is unsatisfied in this moment. And a part of the reason he's unsatisfied is because uh, this lawyer had no intentions of learning from Jesus in this moment. As a matter of fact, he came with an agenda to poke holes in the teachings of Jesus. And, and again, I know some of us can can relate to that. We come to certain arguments or we come to certain uh, conversations with our minds already made up. We're just here to prove to you why we're right. And that's what the lawyer is doing. And, and oftentimes in those kinds of conversations, we end up having to try to defend ourselves. And that's what the lawyer does here in verse 29 when he says, well, who, who is my neighbor? And then, of course, Jesus in Jesus' fashion, he turns this lawyer's worldview upside down through this parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the biblical terms that we're kind of going to be throwing out tonight, a parable is simply a story that illustrates a spiritual lesson, okay? So that's all a parable is. It's a story that points to a, a very powerful spiritual lesson. So let's pick up. This is Luke chapter 10. We're starting in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Levite and the priest in this story, they are religious leaders. So in our culture and today, it would be your pastors and elders, okay? So if there's anyone in this story 
that should have compassion and have mercy and, and, and leaning towards helping someone who's in, in need are these two individuals. But when they come upon this man, they don't see him as a man. They see him as a problem. And there are some religious scholars in our day that have some reasons as to, as to why these, these guys pass by. The, the first reason is in verse 30, it says that the man was left half dead. So to them, this, this dude was dead. Yeah, that's a pretty good reason. Jewish customs is you, you can't touch a dead body. You have to undergo a, a ceremonial cleansing uh, that would, would have taken, you know, days, and they couldn't afford to miss out on that, 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 that hard-earned money. Uh, they got priestly duties to attend. Another reason would have been uh, on this particular road. Uh, Harley, could you pull this picture up? Now, I've never been to Jerusalem, to Jericho, so I did what any um, of y'all millennials would do, just look it up on Google. So, this is, this is the road, what that road actually looks like. So it's very narrow, right? Mo most folks would say that those, those robbers, they, they would hide in those crevices. This place is known for hidden crevices where the robbers would hide to have the element of surprise on their, their attackers. And some would even suggest that they, another reason they probably didn't stop was because they feared that the robbers were still there. They were trying to get a come up, if you will. Um, the, the last reason, and this one is probably my least favorite reason as to why these dudes didn't stop. When they saw a, a man in the street beaten, left half dead, because he probably deserved it. And can I, can I just be honest in my studying and kind of looking through this particular uh, part of the lesson? It struck a chord with me. Because this is the same excuse and reasoning that I hear in 2020 from certain Christians as they see a man laying dead in the streets, he probably deserved it. Or better yet, let's wait for the facts. One of the things I love about Jesus is his ability to simultaneously captivate the hearts of his listeners and expose the wickedness of men's hearts. And that's exactly what he's going to do here. In verse 33, he says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And when he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 33 provides this stark contrast to how this, the religious leaders reacted and responded to this man and how the Samaritans responded. Now, let me give you some historical context between these two people groups. It took me a while to land on this, on this point, but I think I need to go ahead and, and just share. These two people groups hated each other. Not just disliked, they hated each other. And, and it can be traced back to 722 years before Jesus was even born. In the story of uh, Joseph with his brothers in, in Genesis chapter 30, 37, 
this, that some scholars believe it's Joseph and his relationship with his brothers that starts this tension. Now, from there, there are a dozen reasons why they hate each other. But perhaps the most significant reason of why they hate each other is that Samaritans are known as half-breeds. So, so they're, they're Jewish people who married outside of their race. That was problematic for Jews, for, for the 100% Jewish folks. This tension and this animosity actually started wars, generations of, of wars. So when Jesus introduces the Samaritan as good in this story, this, this lawyer's worldview is flipped. Because to this lawyer, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. But you know what's funny? Jesus, a Jewish man, is calling a Samaritan good. Verse 33, he begins to unpack it a little bit more. When the Samaritan journeyed and came to him and saw him, had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds and set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. Verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying to take care of him. And whatever you need or whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. If you're taking notes, Harley, you can, you can put up that first slide. If you're taking notes, love starts with looking. That, that's something just, to, just noteworthy to put down on your, on your iPhone, to write down and put it on your refrigerator. Love starts with looking. And 20... 2013, there was a study done that resulted in 90% of women, pregnant women, that looked at the ultrasound of their unborn baby, they changed their minds about having an abortion. 90% of the women who looked at the ultrasounds changed their minds because love starts with looking and looking at which what you're seeing and having compassion for what you see. This story is not meant to be just Jesus giving good advice to us. It's not meant to be this feel-good moment for us to kind of go home and rejoice about us and our good deeds. This story is actually meant to disrupt our safeguard and dismantle the idols we call comfort. This story is meant to give us the lens of the Father as he sees his beloved creation. And for those who are Christians to be moved towards that brokenness. Love is costly, but love is necessary. This type of costly love is necessary. But here's a question for you to just kind of ponder. What are some of the things that you've been avoiding? Because it's just a little too messy. What are some of the things that you've seen in creation who bring it locally to your job and your family? And that's just a little too, little too much for me, man. I'm just. To the Samaritan who's in this story, he doesn't see a problem. He sees humanity. He sees the Imago Dei, uh, image barrier of, of God. And it moves towards it 
at all costs. Now, let's recap what it cost the Samaritan. Because we see here that it cost him in time. The, the story doesn't mention where the Samaritan was going. We do know he was going somewhere. For all I know, we, he could have been going to visit with family, uh, had a meeting to attend, or just want a trip to the beach. We don't know. What, what we do know is this. His day was interrupted to care for someone. Love is, it will interrupt you. It cost the Samaritan in money. Two denarii in this day was a day's wages. In our culture, in our day's climate, it would be $150 to $200. And check this out. He paid it up front. Because in verse 35, verse 35 it says that he, he, he would pay whatever expenses were had once he got back. Love cost him in financial gain. Love was costly to him in resources. The oil and wine in this story was actually supposed to be for refreshments. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. When I read that, I was like, well, who in the world going to drink oil and wine in the middle of a desert for a refreshment? <laughs> Nevertheless, I digress. Um, instead, he uses these, these resources as medical resources. The oil was used to cleanse the man's wounds, and, and the wine was used to soothe any inflammation so that his wounds would not get infected. It cost the Samaritan physically, for he physically picked him up and put him on his animal. Now, the mileage between Jericho and Jerusalem is 18 miles. I ain't got it in me. I ain't got a bone in me to go out and walk 18 miles in a, in a desert. I don't, have, I don't have that in me. Um, we, we, and they didn't have no AC in that day, day either. So this dude walked whatever the way was to care for a man he never met. And, and of course, it cost him emotionally and mentally. Samaritan risked his own life. He risked his own life to take him to a hotel that was located in a Jewish town. So to give you some perspective on that, <laughs> Corey Casperson. We love Corey, don't we? Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be like if Corey was beaten and busted up, bleeding all over the street. And then I come along with my happy-go-lucky self. And take Corey to a town that's ran by the KKK. See why that's problematic? Black man carrying white dude beat up into a town known to hate black people. Looking at me, you did this to our brother? I had to have that southern draw in there. <laughs> our brother. I, I hope this is painting a little bit closer for a picture of the anxiety and the emotional stress that this Samaritan was dealing with. This is not meant to be a feel-good story, folks. It's not one of those stories where we sing kumbaya at the end. This parable, I said this earlier, that it's an illustration to drive home a spiritual lesson. 
And the lesson here, or the takeaway from this story, is that love moves us to brokenness. It moves us to the things that breaks the Father's heart. And there's no greater example of that than the person of Jesus. Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Some folks, when we look at these particular stories in the Bible, the David and Goliaths, the Samsons and the Good Samaritans, we place ourselves as the hero in this story. Folks, let me tell you something. There's only one hero, and his name's Jesus. He's it. Jesus is the Samaritan in this story. In this story, we're either the, the, the Levite, the priest, or the man that's beaten in the middle of the street. And if you're a Christian in here, well, well, he's calling us to embody what it means to be an imitator of Christ by moving to the things that breaks his heart. This kind of love is flushed out in this story. And, and here's the blueprint of how to reflect this type of love. Harley, if you can put it up, we're going we're gonna to go through this one by one. So, again, if you're taking notes, please write this down. It's looking. It's having compassion. And it's moving to action. The blueprint for reflecting this type of love that we see in this story comes by looking, having the eyes of Christ to see humanity the way he sees it. The compassion element, Paul was talking about this on Sunday, and he referred to when Tyler talked uh, about it, Johnson, not, not Hudgens, when, uh, when he talked about compassion comes from the most, the innermost beings of a man's and woman's soul, the innermost parts. When he had compassion, it's crazy. In the book of Luke, this type of compassion, matter of fact, it's only mentioned three times. When, when the father, when the father and the, and the um, prodigal son said the father had compassion. The story of the widow in the, uh, of Nain, when her son is dead, and, and the, the funeral procession is coming out of the city, and Jesus saw them with their brokenness and had compassion. And then here, it's a man beaten, bruised, left for dead. He said he had compassion. And then it moves us to our last point of taking action. It's not enough to just see it. Oh, I'll pray for you. Not enough to even be moved by it in your innermost being. We want to be a community that moves towards it, physically moves towards the brokenness. This type of love is laid out before us. Starts with looking, having compassion, which is the engine that drives us into action. 
And I just need to say this because it's just fitting. You wearing these masks is compassion and love expressed in action. This is actually loving to see that you're actually simply wearing a mask that easy. So why does this story like this matter in 2020? Well, it, it challenges us. challenges us to move and to live beyond ourselves and to live for the good of others. And I'm telling you, there's no greater time to live for someone else than in, in 2020. Again, this story is not meant to be burdensome. It's not meant to be to, to stoke the fire of performance-driven in us. It's not meant to just aim hard, try harder, do better. This, this story is not, not meant for that at all. It, it's meant to just move us out of our comfort zone. It's meant for us to take very serious the things of God and move towards his creation. I'm going to invite Connor and the team, worship team back up. Um, if you're a Christian in here, I know we, we, we usually address two, two groups, Christians and non-Christians. We're going to get that figured out. <laughs> if you're a Christian in here, we're going to sit in this next moment. And our prayer, this, this is the prayer that I want us to just kind of rest in. Father, give, give me eyes to see what you see. Give me eyes to see my heart. Whatever breaks your heart, let it break my heart. For those who are wrestling with faith, those who don't necessarily call yourself a believer, first of all, welcome. You don't, you don't have to believe to belong. But I do have a question. Can you afford to live a life apart from Christ and then an eternity apart from Christ? Later on in the same, in the same book, in Luke 14, Jesus is with some folks, as he always is, and he's sharing with them about counting the cost. What builder doesn't count the cost first before he starts building? And if you're in here wrestling with your faith, let me, let me just tell you something. You can't afford to enter into eternity apart from Christ. Count the cost. But here's the good news. You see, this person Jesus we're talking about, some 2,000 years ago, he gave his life on this place called Calvary. And most scholars believe that in the garden where he was sweating blood, most folks would have died in that place. Others believe when he was being beaten after his, I think it was second or third trial, the flesh being ripped from his, his body, most folks believe that you would have, most of us would have died there. But he took this costly love to the highest point possible. 
and he gave his all. <laughs> and he's inviting, he's drawing those in here who are struggling to believe. He's drawing you to himself. The debt has been paid. You don't have to pay that. Consider what your life would be in Christ. Let's pray. And we're going to have the team lead us in worship.